You know, last week we celebrated our five-year anniversary as a church and kind of kicked off a two-part message that I'm calling It Is Good. So we're going to do part two and kind of wrap this up today. I'm really excited about this second part of it. If you were here last week, you know we really celebrated and just rejoiced and reflected on many of the wonderful things that God has done over the last five years and also anticipate what God is getting ready to do in the years that are still ahead. And that speaks to all of our lives, right? I think that a local church that is on fire for God, that really is reflecting Jesus to their community, is like a wellspring, a fountainhead that is just flowing with life into every part of the area. And, and let me just say it to all of us who are a part of a church that's like that, we are a part of this wellspring. And this life is meant to be flowing into every part of our lives, and we're being raised up strong to be the people that God's created us to be, working together to impact our world and our communities. Amen? And so I'm excited about that. But we're going to go today uh, for this second part of It Is Good. We're going to begin in Joshua chapter 4. So if you want to open your Bibles there, that's where we'll spend most of our time is in this story. We'll have a few other scriptures, but this will be the, the main thing we focus on. And I feel like uh, it's helpful if we read enough verses to get a good context and understanding of this scene, of this event, uh, and then we will begin to unpack it a little bit more beyond that. But let's read, I say, the first nine verses here together in chapter four uh, of Joshua. And so it came to pass when all of the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, and from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. And Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel." and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. Amen. Well, basically, in this story, there is quite a bit going on, and... Really, the first few chapters, 1, 2, and 3 of Joshua, set this up, this event that we just read about, which is the crossing of the Jordan River of God's people. 
And they're coming out of the wilderness, which I'll remind you was a 40-year delay, right? The people of God were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, headed to the promised land. They were disobedient to God in the act of the golden calf. And God caused a 40-year delay in the wilderness. And all those who came out of Egypt, besides for a couple of men, those died in the wilderness, and all those who were born, the new generation, they're the ones who are actually crossing over the Jordan and headed into the conquest of the promised land. And so Joshua is the new commander, the new general. Moses has passed on the baton, went to be with the Lord. And so now Joshua is going to lead the people from here. They get to the Jordan River. It's a very significant place because the Jordan, which basically flows from north to south on the eastern border of Israel, was kind of like that barrier or parameter, if you will, into the promised land. So as the people of God are crossing over the Jordan River and they get to the other side, you have to understand this is the first time for all of these people, with the exception of a couple spies that were sent out earlier, this is the first time that these people have ever stepped foot into the promised land territory. They've heard about it. They know it's coming. But this is the first time that they're actually now beginning to enter into that season. And so Joshua gets to the Jordan with the people. There's the estimated like 600,000 Israelites that were men. And so with women and children, probably around a million people. So you have to appreciate this kind of an event, right? They get to this place at the Jordan and God had already parted a river, a sea, actually, the Red Sea, and we know that that area was much bigger than the Jordan River is, but at this time of year, it says the Jordan River is overflowing its banks. So if you're from Monroe County or anywhere around here, I would be willing to bet you know what spring floods mean, right? The river uh, exceeding its banks. We're all familiar with that. So the waters are very high tide, rapid. It's not something that they can just pass through uh, naturally without some sort of intervention. And that's what God does miraculously. And there's a big statement that he's making at this particular point. I instructs Joshua that it's going to happen. He says, tell the priests who are carrying the ark, which the ark was the ark of the covenant Inside of it had the tablets of stone, the commandments of God, the presence of God was tabernacling in the ark, and the priests were instructed to carry it on these poles in a very specific manner, right? We need to host and treat the presence of God with reverence and respect, and they're carrying the, the ark into the Jordan. When their feet get into the riverbed of the Jordan and they step foot on the soil, then they're supposed to stop, and what happens is God begins to part the waters. But how he does it, this is really cool to think about. It says that the waters actually backed up and stopped as far upstream as the city of Adam, which is however many miles away. So if you can picture this, the water is building because it continues to flow. And it's like a wall of water that's growing, but God's holding it back so that it doesn't continue. And everything dries up downstream until the people fully cross over. So there's a lot going on in the story, but I gave you all that context so we can see it, we can get ourselves there. But the thing I really want to draw our attention to today, in light of this series, it is good celebrating these major things that God does in our lives appropriately, the purposes behind doing that, that God's designed for us. 
is to understand that these 12 stones that God tells Joshua to have the men of Israel take out of the riverbed, huge boulders, right? They had to carry on their shoulder, take out of the riverbed and set up as a memorial on the other side of the Jordan where they will eventually step foot and and ascend into this next season of their destiny. This memorial, this celebration, this time of God making sure that they consecrate this moment properly is of great significance to them. And these things are of great significance to us today. Amen? Memorials, celebrations, times where we can see that God is doing a great thing, and then the purposes behind that that we need to be able to see from that. So I'll ask you a question. Let me ask it like this. Um, what has God done in your life recently? And just think about it. You don't have to answer out loud, but just think, what has he done recently? What has God done in the last year? What has God done in the last five years? We talked a lot about that last week and all the wonderful things. And celebrate. When you think about all that God has done, could I ask you another question? Did you establish a celebration? Did you rejoice? Because that's a huge part of what I think this story is teaching these people is that they're establishing a memorial to properly recognize something that God is doing, has done, and something that they will continue to reflect on, and there'll be something of value that comes from that in the years ahead as they do. So what is it that God has done in your life, and have you properly celebrated? Why is it important that we do this? If God's wired this thing into us, if He's designed us to kind of live in our lives this way where there's these moments that we take in and rejoice and express our praise to God for what's happening, what is the reason behind that? What are some of the reasons? And I want to talk to you about that today. And the first one is to celebrate. There's a celebration that needs to happen. There's a moment that needs to occur, as the psalmists often say, a Selah moment where there's a pause, take it in. Does that make sense? Pause, take it in. A Selah moment, a celebration. Now, I said this in one of the services last week, and this is one of the challenges of doing three weekend services and crossing over 40 years old, is that sometimes you forget what you said in what service. There's times where I actually said the same story twice in one service, and I'm like, wait, you're like, does he know he already said that? So I apologize for that. But I said last week that earlier in my life, one of the things that I missed, mistakes that I made, things that you know I regret, is I was always going 100 miles an hour. I had one speed. Some would argue I still do, but I, I, I'm, I'm better now. I had one speed, and I was always going 100 miles an hour. And I don't know why, Patty, it was, but to me, 
to slow down and stop and say la and take in the moment and celebrate, it just seemed like a waste of time. It, it seemed like progress lost. We got, we got more to keep doing. Let's not let grass grow under our feet kind of thing. Anybody else, like, honest enough to say that's kind of how you are? And, and so while there's times in our lives, it'll be clear, where we run, where we go hard and we go fast, it's not all the time. God's actually created a rhythm to our lives, a design that we should flow in. And part of that rhythm is that we are able to stop and take in the moment of God's advancements in and through our lives, have a selah, and then appropriately celebrate and rejoice what's going on. Are you with me? You see, that's actually good for us. And there are some times in Israel, even to this day, where some of the major events that God did, what they inaugurated, were week-long celebrations every single year. Think about that, because that's a foreign concept to us. Stop everything in your life, and for the next seven days, let's just sing praises and rejoice, and let's have feasts to celebrate what God did 2,000 years ago. That's kind of a foreign thing to us, isn't it? And I'm not, we're not legalistic here. I'm not saying that if you don't do something for seven days, you've missed the mark. But what I will encourage you with is this. I do believe that there are some major things that happen in our lives, major advancements of God through us that will need extended seasons of celebration. That makes, I don't know what that looks like for you, but there's, there's a way that it could look like for you to mark that moment in your life, establish it so that there's something prominent right now when it happens that you're celebrating, which makes it much easier when we get to this other point, to be able to look back and remember and reflect because something big happened and we took time to celebrate and appreciate that. This pattern exists in Genesis chapter 1. God actually already lays it out in the beginning for us. You know, after each one of the six days, there were seven days, obviously, the seventh was the rest day, but there were six days of creation. God created on six different days, and I think it's incredibly profound that after each day, God took a moment, he, he paused, if you will, he looked at it, think about that, he looked at it, and he said, say it with me, it is good. Isn't that something to think about? I'll say it to you like this, when we, in fact, in day seven, he looked back at all six days. And it says that he saw all that was good. There was a seventh it is good moment in Genesis chapter 1. He looked at all the six days and sort of like summarized a conclusion. It is good, it is good, it is good. Wow, it's really all good. It's a celebration that's happening. God himself operates this way. He creates us in his image. And so he's really wired and designed it into us to operate in this kind of rhythm as well. And so we see that there's great purpose and significance that God establishes for us that we would rejoice and celebrate and take time to really give God the glory for what he has done and is doing in our lives. I, I think when we read this in Genesis 1, and I'll say this and you'll be like, well, that's kind of obvious, but I think you'll appreciate what I mean. I think we really lose something in that whole beginning story if we take out the it is good part of that. 
too obviously, you take anything out of the Bible, that's wrong. And I agree. I'm just trying to make a point that that it is good element adds something significant to this whole process that perhaps sometimes we miss. Right? Have you missed a party? Have you skipped a celebration? Are there some things that God has done in your life, perhaps, that you have not returned the glory to Him for? Because, see, that's really what the celebration is all about. Romans 11.36 says this. It says, all things are of Him, through Him, and to Him. Of means they flow down from heavenly realm. God's the source. We're not the source. We're not the origin of any of that. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in heaven, right? He's the origin, the source. Everything good comes down. It's of Him. And then there's this through Him aspect, which means it's all sustained by Him. It's held up by Him. It's by His hand that even the planets can even sit in space and do what they do and have order. It's sustained. Everything in our lives is strength in us to accomplish anything. It's sustained in it through Him. It's of Him. It's through Him. But that last part is to Him, which means that the glory is returned. You understand that? That there's a requirement there. There's an expectation. There's a part of the design for us in this rhythm of life. It says, yes, things flow down. We are strengthened, but we are to return that glory by way of rejoicing and celebration back to God as if to complete the glory cycle, if you will. I refer to it as that. That's not a theological term. It's just a way that helps me understand that God puts good things in us, on us, and they, we walk in them, but we are to return the glory back to Him. Does that make sense? And sometimes, as men, as women, knowingly or unknowingly, we can stop that flow right there and not return the glory, not complete the cycle. Maybe we take it for ourselves. Hey, great job. You're awesome. Thanks. Really appreciate that. Thank you. And, and maybe we don't realize it, but man, there's something of great significance. God says, okay, you want the glory? Okay, fine, then you have it. You don't return it to me, then okay. But I don't know about you, I want, I want the cycle to keep flowing in my life. I want things to continue to flow down, and I'm quick to try to give them back to him and glorify him in word and in deed and everything I do. Amen? Amen. So that was number one, is to celebrate. Number two is to equip to equip the memorial, the time that we stop and rejoice and take it in, actually equips us for our future, right? It, it, it prepares us, it strengthens us for the next things that are ahead. The Bible says we live from faith to faith, which means it's progressive, grows. Strengthens. We build off of one season in our lives. We learn things. Faith has grown in us through that. We get closer to God. We're more adequately apt and ready for the next season of our lives. And God works this way. Says the man of God or woman of God would be fully equipped and ready in the moment for the work that he's called us to do. So it's, it's progressive. And so we come to these places in our lives where we can look ahead, see the challenge of the future endeavor, the new season, but be strengthened to walk into it because of the celebration and the witness that we bore to the great things God's already done in and through us right now. You see, the Jordan River getting parted was a miracle. It was a miracle. They stepped foot on the other side of the soil, first time that these people have ever put their feet in the promised land, ever. Been over 400 years since any of God's people have been in this area. 
since Jacob. And here they are. God did a miracle. This was an amazing thing. But you know what? Not very long from now, they're going to find themselves in Jericho, ready for a fight and ready for a battle that God's going to win on another day and another victory. And they're going to need some faith for that too. So there's something about seeing a miracle of the parting of the water kind of strengthens me when I get to the city of Jericho to march around the city for seven days and shout and praise. Are you with me? It, it, it prepares us, it strengthens us for our future. And these stones that were set up as a memorial built on the other side of the Jordan in the promised land area, later it actually says they set them up in Gilgal, which is the, like the first city that you would come to after you've passed through the And I find this interesting because if you think back to the last time God parted a river or the sea, and they crossed over, and then God brought the waters back. You know, it wasn't very long after that that those people actually wanted to return the way that they came. You remember that? Like a few days in, and there wasn't enough water or whatever. Like they're, they wanted to kill Moses, and they said, we want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> what? Back to chains? You're kidding me. And I think there's something really important in this establishing of a memorial this time with these stones. It's almost as if God to say, like, hey, he knows we're people. He knows how we work. But listen to me. I've brought you through something. You're headed into something new that's even greater in your destiny. But if you turn around and think about going back the other way where you came from, I want you to see these stones, and I want you to remember what I did. And I want you to think about going back to where I've already brought you out of. Wow. You see, all through Scripture, if you read the Old Testament, you know on many occasions God says or asks a question. I feel like God's asked this question of me many times. He says it like this, have I not done, will I not do? You caught that many times in the Old Testament. He says that to his people, and usually it's when they're in a place where they're nervous, they're scared, they're intimidated, or they're a little overwhelmed by the task at hand that's in front of them. And God kind of has to remind them, have I not done, will I not do? So as you look ahead in your future and the strength and the faith that you need for the next season, God wants to remind you that he's already established some major victories in your life that you can build off of in your faith as you move forward. Now, I know whenever I was younger, like teenager and early 20s, we would, our family would go down to the lake during the summer, and there's this really tall cliff. I mean, really tall. It's, it's probably 40 plus feet. And, uh, and we would climb up the side of the mountain, hike all the way around and come out. And then you could jump off of this cliff down into the lake really, really deep there. You can't do it anymore. They, they close it all off because of crazy people like us. But uh, we would go up there. And when you got up there, what was 40 feet, I promise you, it looked like 100 feet when you got up there. I mean, you talk about separating men from a boys, you know, it's like, holy cow. And, and I probably, we got to where we were jumping and we were diving off of it. Some of my crazy friends even did flips and stuff off of there. And then I saw some people get hurt really bad off of there too. But every time I would get up there, even, if, even though I'd done it a hundred times, get up there, there'd always be this like sort of fear and intimidation that would kick in when I saw it. And, and part of me would want to turn around and go back the way I came. And then I remember that Katie was down there watching me in the boat. So that, that can't happen, right? And she, oh, wow. And she's, 
Yeah, oh, she was smitten. Um, and <laughs> but it, it was almost as every time you just, I kind of had to have this thought, like, wait a minute, you've been here before. You know, wait a minute, you, you've done this before. This is a new thing. This is a new time. But, but you've already kind of, you've been through something like this before. So there's a courage, there's a strength that could kind of come over you. And I'm telling you that God has designed you, wired you, to look upon these previous victories, these celebrations, and as you look ahead, be strengthened and emboldened in your faith for what is yet to come by what God has already done in your life. Because this is a new thing, this is a new season. Yes, there was a glory and a beauty to the last season that they were in. You know, God did supernatural things. There was manna that rained down from heaven for 40 years in the wilderness. Think, think about that. Bread falling from heaven on the ground. They didn't have to farm. They didn't have to kill. Food every day for 40 years. That's, that's miraculous. There's a glory to the former day. But listen to me, as they stepped into the new season and they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, the Bible specifically says the manna ceased. And now they began to eat from the produce of the land. So here's the beauty in that. As one season is ending and there is a glory to the former season by God's appointment, there is also a new glory and a new thing that rests on the next season. And it isn't always the same as the glory that was on the last season. And we've got to be prepared to step into the new thing, but appreciate the last thing that's already been done. Amen. Amen. To equip us and strengthen us. And let me say this. Your best days are not behind you. They're not. Maybe you've caught yourself saying that before. Oh, the good old days, right? If you're 60 or over, you've probably said it before. Good old days. When I was in my prime, like Pastor Matt is right now. (laughs) But your best days are not behind you. There's a glory to them if you walked with God or if he did things in your life, but your best days are still ahead of you, and God still has great things planned for your future, and the faith that's been established through the things he's already done plays a huge role in the things that God has yet planned ahead for you. Please keep that in mind. The last point about the significance of this memorial that they established is so that they can remember, right? Remember, we have celebrate, which is kind of here in the present moment. We have equip, which is looking ahead for the future. We have remember, which is looking back to the past. Let me just give you a little thought thought to take with you here. We need to get used to relating to God in a past, present, and future sense. He's the God who was, who is, and who is to come. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's done great things. He's doing great things. He'll continue to do great things. Our faith is applicable in all those aspects of our relationship with God. And so this remembrance part is looking back and recalling this moment, this event that God did, and and actually realizing value now from that by looking back and seeing what God did. And it was so important that God mandated them with something around this memorial. It was for them to remember and recall 
But it wasn't just for them. It was actually for the next generation as well. The ones who had not seen this thing, who would grow up and be raised up. God mandated them. In fact, let me show you this. This is in chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. God mandated them to make sure that this memorial was observed and taught into the future generations. And there'd be a consequence by neglecting this mandate. So listen, verse 21. Joshua spoke to the children of Israel and said, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over that all the prophets of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Wow, God, God mandates this. It's not just a good idea. It is a good idea, but it's not just a good idea. It's a responsibility. And to those of us who are parents and caregivers, that we want to raise our children up in the ways of the Lord, that they'll not depart from them. We want to train the younger generation. Listen, we need to understand the mandate that's on us to make sure we teach them about the wonderful, amazing, and miraculous things that God has already done in past seasons of our lives. You know what the consequence is? The opposite of this is what happened in the book of Judges. Time and time again, as you read through the end of a summary or a chapter, here's what it'll say. And the next generation that arose in Israel, this generation did not know the Lord or the things that he had done in Israel. Because of the neglect of the forefathers to teach that younger generation what God was doing. It's a responsibility. And so as we look back and we remember these amazing things, there's value to be realized in the moment. And part of that is to transfer the experience and the testimony on to the generation that comes behind us. I hope we accept that responsibility. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it, in the body of Christ even to this day? I know for myself and for Katie, one of the things that we do with all of our kids is we have a journal for each one of the kids. And uh, you know, so I have six of them. And several times a year, I'll pull out the journals or one of their journals, and I'll pen an entry to them from me on that day. I'll date it, put it back, and just continue to do this. And so, you know, it's years now that this has been building. It's getting pretty full. And my intent, my heart, my, my biggest thought and focus as I sit down to pen this entry is that I want them to be able one day to look back and read these stories and these entries, and most of all, I want them to see how the hand of God has been at work in our family and in their lives, all of their lives, and be able to see and know and appreciate how much God has already done. Those things are such a treasure to me that, frankly, I think if my house was on fire and burning down, as long as my kids and my wife were safe, they'd be the first thing I'd run in and get, because they just mean that much to me. Because I know that there's a day coming, maybe on their wedding day, I don't know, when I'll give them to them, and they'll be able to look back and they'll read these and they'll be able to see how God's actually been moving and working in their life for many, many years. 
and hopefully pass that on to their children as well. But we have to really make sure we're properly uh, remembering and transferring these things. And it also, as we remember and look back, look, it helps us to see the progress that God has done in our lives. And what in many cases I would submit to you is really a relatively short period of time. Now, here's how we respond. We get into a challenge in a moment. Oh, when's this day going to ever end? Oh my gosh, this week is just never going to stop. I, I can't see beyond this one challenge of our lives. I just encourage you, sometimes in a moment, would you just step back, flip to one year ago, exact same day, a year before in your calendar, and observe if you've been walking with God, and observe where you were and what was happening at that time, and appreciate the amazing amount of progress that's happened in just that short little period. Because it's pretty phenomenal what God can do in really just a short period of time. But sometimes when we're only here in the present, we can miss when we don't have the ability to look back, remember, and recall the things that have already happened. Are you with me? And just be able to see that progress that's been made. I think that we, we benefit greatly when we are able to, to do that, to look back and remember and see, let me say it like this, the things that we once prayed for that we actually have right now. There's something real powerful in that. One day I was walking around my house, man, and five years ago when we moved over here, God made, God did a big thing for us to be able to get our home and everything that worked out there. It was just, say it was the hand of God, okay? And a uh, wonderful place for us to kind of get and begin raising our family. Well, one day a few years into it, I was walking around the house, and there's some things that were breaking down, uh, things that needed to get fixed, and I get, I get real irritated by that kind of stuff. That's, it just throws me off. When things break down on the car or on the house, I'm just like, I know you can't probably picture or imagine this, but I, I really get agitated sometimes about that, more so than I should. And, and so I'm walking around, and I'm just getting frustrated, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this, and oh my gosh, that. And while I'm doing this, the Lord speaks to me. And he says, oh, son, ask you a question. Uh, you know how that's going to go, right? That's a chastising kind of question usually. He says, can I ask you a question? Yeah, these things you're complaining about, you know, all these things are going wrong, these challenges. Let me ask something. Do you remember when you were walking around this property? Because, see, the house was foreclosed on it. It was vacant. And so I'd go out there and I'd walk around the property and just pray for a number of days before we finally closed on the house. And he said, do you remember when you were walking around this property praying and asking me for this home? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you need to think about that. When you were praying for what you actually have right now that all of a sudden is becoming a frustration to you. I think maybe somebody needs to hear this today. Maybe it's somebody that's watching. Can you stop and think about when you were praying and asking God for the things that you have or are walking in right now? Because I think it might change our perspective on the things we're presently going through and what actually lies in front of us. Would you agree with me on that? Last thing I want to draw your attention to in this story as we 
say we're here to celebrate, we're equipped for the future, and we remember what God has done many times over. This last part of the story I want to draw your attention to, you may have missed it. Now, I read enough verses to make sure that it was there for you to catch. But if you missed it, don't feel bad, because it'd be easy to miss. But here's the part of the story, and we'll reread verse 9 in just a second. But it's that there were actually two piles of stones. I don't know if you caught that. There was the pile that came out of the riverbed that was buried in the water until God parted it. Those were the big stones that were raised up and used as a monument in the next new season ahead on that dry ground. But there was a second group of stones that Joshua had the people pull from the other side and take and bury in the riverbed where the feet of the priests were. And eventually as the waters came back, it says that they were buried in the water and they're there to this day. That's interesting, isn't it? Let's reread that. Verse 9. <clears throat> then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. You see that now? You see how there's two different groups, right? So what's it all about? First group of stones, we would say they were raised up, raised out of the place where they had been buried. God had to miraculously intervene and do something, and in the day of his miraculous intervention, something was raised up and consecrated to the Lord and memorialized. But in the same situation, God also instructed them to pull stones put them in the river, and let them get buried. You see, the stones that were the memorial that were raised represent God is raising His people, Israel, up to a new season, to a new work, and to a new thing. And it's only by the hand of God that we're raised up to anything of eternal value or mission value for Him. Right? So they were raised up into this thing. But there was also a burial that had to take place. Well, one of the things that the people had to do as soon as they got onto the other side of the Jordan is they went around and they made sure that they circumcised all the males before they went any further into the promised land. See, all the males that were born in the wilderness had not been circumcised, and all the ones that were already circumcised had died in the wilderness. So they're reaffirming the covenant that God made through Abraham with the people. Well, circumcision, listen to me, means to cut away. It means to cut away and shed something of the flesh. And the New Testament tells us that we now, we must be circumcised in our hearts. A sinful nature, a past nature shed away, an old man put off that a new man can be put on. Maybe you see where I'm going with this. You see, the wilderness period happened because of the disobedience of the forefathers. And that season was ending. They were coming out of that. And God was letting them know, yes, there is something new you're being raised up to. And as you enter into this, you need to remember that something else needs to continue to be shed away. And that's the sinfulness and disobedience of our natures 
to go against the things of God. If you want to be successful in the promised land, then you need to shed that kind of sinfulness and disobedience that your forefathers walked in that brought them to that last season that you're now coming out of. Let me say it another way. In order for there to be a resurrection, there has to be a victory. Does that make sense? You see, the victory of the cross was the resurrection. It was that Jesus defeated the grave. It was that he rose from the dead. That victory would not have been attained if Jesus would have just come off of the cross. That would have been miraculous, but it it wouldn't have led to the victory. The victory of the resurrection was attained because the body died and was buried in the tomb. In order for there to be a resurrection, there has to be a burial. And so what I'm saying is perhaps God is drawing you into a new season. Perhaps he's rumbling some things in your spirit. There's a new thing that God's wanting to raise you up to, and you're ready, but for whatever reason, it seems like it's just you're just not going into it. For some reason, you're still here kind of in this delay. I'm not saying this is the only reason for something like that, but I am saying it could be the reason Maybe before God raises you up to this new thing, this next thing, maybe something actually has to get buried in your life first. Are you still carrying anger, bitterness, resentment, wounds, pain, maybe sinful type of conduct or something like that? Whatever it might be. Maybe there is a, you know, a, a grudge or an offense that you're walking around with. Look, I promise you that those things will cause delays in our lives to stepping into the next things that God has planned for us. Perhaps, maybe, you see what the next thing God wants to raise you up to is. But perhaps there's still a burial that needs to happen. Perhaps there's still a shedding away, a cutting away of something that has no place in your life as you walk into this next place that God has prepared for you. Amen? And we're going to pray today about that if the Lord is really dealing with you about that. And I think that God's going to do some awesome things here because you see those stones. Remember what I said? They're still there to this day. Meaning the waters, as they continued back, buried those stones, and they're still buried. Micah the prophet says that God will bury our sins in the depths of the sea. What I'm trying to say to you is when they get buried, they stay buried. You don't have to walk in guilt and condemnation. When God sets you free and washes it with the rivers of water that cleanse us with his blood, they stay buried. But maybe the burial has to happen still. So as we look back and recall these things and remember, here's part of the memorial's significance. I see the victory. I see the great things that God has done in my life for 20, almost 20 years now. But let me tell you something else that I think is really important for me to also remember. And I'm going to make sure I make this really clear. It's important for me to remember what might have been if God had not showed up and saved me with his beautiful grace. I'm not saying I carry my sin. You just heard what I said about condemnation and guilt not being buried. I'm saying it's profitable for me to look back and remember what might 
have happened, what could have been in my life if I would have continued walking in my sinfulness and God had not showed up and saved me and rescued me with His beautiful grace. Perhaps I would not be a pastor of a church this day. Perhaps I would not have a wonderful wife and beautiful children that I do. Perhaps I would not have the blessing of the wonderful relationships around me in my life that I do. I need to look back and I need to see what could have been because in order to really understand the value of the resurrection and what's been raised up in me, I need to appreciate the magnitude of what God actually buried in my past. Amen. Amen. So I want to pray with us today. You say, yeah, I think, I think there's something that needs to be cut away and shed away. Well, first and foremost is the condition of original sin. When we're born into the world, we're born into the world with sin that has to be washed away. And God will remove that from us if we turn from that sin, repent, and turn entirely to Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I want your life in me. I want to know I'm going to live forever with you. I'm convicted by my sin. That's the key. Godly sorrow. Not worldly sorrow. Like, I I want good things, and so I'll do that. It's godly sorrow. I'm convicted, God, because I've grieved your heart. And I want to come back into relationship with you. We turn from that. We turn to God. And there's a cutting away. It says in Romans 6, listen, this is huge, huge. It says in Romans 6 that when we come to Christ, the old man, the sinful man and nature is buried with Christ, dead. And we are raised to life in Christ. You understand that? When we're born again and delivered, we're raised to something, but something else was cut away and was buried in that same process. That's the sin nature that we're born into the world with. You see, that's the first thing that needs to happen by way of burial. But maybe you're here today and you say, man, I'm carrying some junk. I got anger. I got bitterness. I got offenses. I've got pain. I've got wounds in my past. Maybe it's sin, things that you've done. Maybe it's stuff that happened to you that other people did that now has become a part of sinful conduct in your life by carrying bitterness or offense. You know, there's all kinds of ways this stuff happens. The devil's really tricky. He's a schemer. But the point is, is that wherever, however you got there, there can be a burial today. There can be a cutting away of some things today. And I want to invite you to pray and seek God. And if that's where the Lord is speaking to you right now in this moment, then we're going to see some awesome things happen. We're going to see some things cut away from people's lives. And I believe that you may find yourself now ascending into this next season of your life that you've been anticipating, and it was just that some dead weight needed to get cut loose from you before you moved into your life. Would you stand to your feet with me today? I'm going to invite you. Just pray. We're going to seek God. And I think there's people here right now that God's really speaking to. People watching online. I I know, man, a message like this. Man, we all find ourselves in this place at one point or another. We got to have a recourse. We got to know how to handle that, how to, how to deal with it as children of God. This is the way. The blood of Jesus, the living water of God can wash over 
bury that thing in your past. You don't have to carry it into your future. Where you're at today does not have to be your story tomorrow. But you've got to come to him. He won't force you. You've got to be convicted. Godly kind of sorrow leads to repentance, and repentance leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness leads to freedom. Say, Father God, here I am. You know my past. You know the things I'm dealing with right now. Lord, I'm convicted by your spirit of this sin or that sin or this thing or that thing, whatever it is. Let him break you right now. Let God break your heart for the things that breaks his heart. Take it to him. God, here it is. Here I am. Humbly before you. I have no ability to cut this thing loose in my own strength whatsoever. I'm desperate. I'm hopeless without you, God. There's no answer. There's no solution apart from you. And so I come to you today. I bring it to you. I'm laying it down. Lord, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you wash me of this thing? And would you bury this thing today in my past? And would you help me to remember this day and all the days forward from here? God, what you've raised me up to And Lord, what you've delivered me from. (laughs) And I thank you, Jesus. I will live my life to serve you, devoted to you, to seek your will above my own. God, that my, my life may be as if an instrument that is just returning the glory back to you day and day and day and day again for all the wonderful things that you're doing, have done, and will do in my life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and have authority to pray. Amen. 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 Let's just celebrate what God is doing in this place today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Amen. How many people are encouraged this morning? Strengthened. It is good. It is good. The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he give you peace. May you celebrate all the great accomplishments and the advancements of God in and through your life. And may you celebrate them well. May you return the glory to him all he's doing in your life and may we all together as we go the body of Christ arm in arm contend for all the great things that still yet await us for our best days are not behind us amen amen God bless you have a wonderful wonderful day